What I'm getting ready to preach to you today, I feel like God has been trying to deal with my heart in such a manner that I was sitting there thinking this morning as uh, Bishop was teaching, I'm not so sure how I can stand up on Sunday morning and preach and scream and yell for just a few moments and people truly catch the heart of what I'm trying to break down to you today. But I fear if I may take the liberty to say so, that the Jesus whom is preached in this modern society is not the same Jesus that his disciples knew. There is, with such broad brushstroke of this present world and love for this present world, there is a different picture painted of the Christ, the Messiah, in this day and time than I believe at any other time in history has ever been painted. It's as though, uh, you can see it on bumper stickers, you can see it um, on clothing, printed clothing, you can see it different places. It's as though Jesus has just become the homeboy, the buddy, the friend, the uh, sugar daddy that takes care of whatever it is that I need in the moment. Yet never, it seems, is he portrayed at all as the God manifest in the flesh who looked at his disciples. What are disciples? It's not a biblical term for somebody that thought he was cool. It's people that followed him. And he said to them, if you are going to come after me, you are going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yet modern theology presents to us a Christ that says, if you come after me, be happy, and I'm happy for you to be happy. This is not going to be cheap preaching this morning. I'm going to give you something that's not going to be a quick money-making scheme preaching. This is going to be the kind of preaching that will sustain you and cause you to be able to make a living in the kingdom of God for the rest of your life because... I'm not talking about walking in on a Sunday or a Wednesday making a temporary commitment to God and saying, oh, that felt so good and I appreciate the tingles up and down my spine and that little goose bump that I felt going up and down my shins. And So for that, Lord, I want you to know that I'm thankful and I'm going to make a commitment to you here at the altar that I have no intention of keeping. I just wanted you to know that it felt really good to be here. It amazes me how much we in the modern church movement love, love, love inspiration. It's amazing. If the preacher that's preaching does not inspire us, it is always the preacher's fault. Think about it. Some of the ministries that we've had In this church through the years, perhaps a young ministry that's trying to get going and it's not the polished kind of preaching that you're used to. And oh my goodness, you turn that guy loose for his 15 minutes of wonder. 
And people are like, oh, my Lord, let's get through this just so we can be inspired next weekend. There is something, and hear Pastor Well this morning, there is something that God is trying to do in the 21st century church to get us out of entertainment and inspiration mode to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. It's as even when we preach about the coming of the Lord, the return of Messiah, that it becomes this dramatic Hollywood-type presentation of what it's going to look like at the rapture of the church, and we, we paint it in all of its beauty and all of its splendor and oh, how powerful it's going to be when the angel of the Lord steps down from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the Lord himself is going to descend with that angel, and oh, we paint these beautiful word pictures about how glorious the rapture is going to be. Yet in this book, it is painted as a great and terrible day. I don't need Hollywood to tell me about the rapture of the church. I've got to get something in my soul that says I don't care if it's beautiful. I don't care if I see the prism. I don't care if I see uh, what the prophets of old saw. It doesn't matter if I see it like Ezekiel saw it. If I see it like Daniel saw it. If I see it like John saw it. All I know is I've got to make it to heaven. If it's not dramatic and it's not entertaining, then heaven don't even sound good. Everybody doing okay? Come on, I'm carrying a burden to this pulpit this morning. I got to get this in somebody's heart. I love the way that Jesus called disciples when he walked up to them and said, Hey, guys, I want to invite you to the temple. Anybody read that? I didn't either. I saw him look at men that said, Lord, I would love to follow you, but my father just died. He said, then you let the dead bury the dead. If you're going to follow me, come on. He looked at one man. He said, come after me. He said, but Lord, what about these nets? He said, leave your nets laying there and come after me. He didn't invite him to church. He invited him to a relationship of being completely sold out. I'm talking about with reckless abandon. It doesn't matter what everybody else does. If everybody else keeps on fishing, I've got to follow him. It was a transforming moment that the Lord said, I want to transform the way you think. They knew for sure that Jesus had to be connected somehow to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When immediately he began to ask of them to sell out everything that you have. Do whatever you've got to do to pursue me. I wouldn't even want to follow a God that let me stay who I was and be what I wanted to be and say that I was saved. In a day and time where preachers on television and radio and internet are afraid to call sin, sin and reproach, reproach. I'm declaring to you today there is such a thing as being saved and there is such a thing as being lost. And they do not coexist together because if you're halfway saved, you're all the way lost. You let the dead bury the dead. 
Whatever you feel like you need to do, let the dead bury the dead. But I am inviting you to come and follow after me. And study this past week was reading about what we, what we feel like as far as scriptural understanding, what we see just based strictly on scripture as the first major test that Abraham had to go through. Now, tradition says that there was perhaps ten great tests that Abraham had to go through and that he made it through all ten of those trials withstanding all of them and kept his integrity but the the really the first scriptural basis for a call of God that we see comes to a man that the call is very very plain it's very straightforward when the Lord looks at him and he says leave everything that you know Now, here's something very interesting about the Bible. See, when we read this, we see this young man in his father's idol shop that the Lord comes and speaks to him and says, Abram, get out while you're young. Get, get out and do something for your life. Folks, I want you to understand that Abram was 75 years old when God called him. We look at him and think, oh man, he was an old man when he had, a, had, had children. He was old. It was, it was impossible. No, no. He did not leave until he was 75 years old. And the call of God that came to him. Listen, this brings this story to a whole different level. Because God wasn't saying to him, as a teenager, you just need to walk away from the familiar. You're talking about a man that had already built his life. 75 years old, everything, what we would look at now, say he's at the end of his life. The Lord said, I just want to show you at the beginning of it. And here comes a very, very powerful principle that I think maybe if God will help us today, I'm going to get this in your heart. How do we see the likeness of God in the New Testament of the Messiah and his call to men. What would make men call him? Because they had learned all their life about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it was not unfamiliar to them for God to speak to a man and say, abandon your life and get a new one with me. So when Jesus came to the seashores talking this kind of language to people, they knew there was something different about this guy. He is not the 21st century Messiah that says, oh, more than anything, baby, I just want you to be happy. I want you to enjoy your coffee during the word of the Lord on Sunday morning. Come on, baby. I want you to bring your donuts on into the house of God and just kick back and relax and enjoy the service. I'll tell you what I really want you to do, gentlemen. I want you to come with me to the temple and pray like you're spiritual. But when you leave the temple, it doesn't matter anymore as long as people aren't looking. That's why he did not invite them to go to the temple and pray. These were men that had already been going to the temple to pray. These were men that had already established their life. They were already what you and I would consider really good Christian people. Although they hadn't yet followed Christ. They weren't Messiah. We hadn't got to Antioch yet. So they weren't referred to as Christians. These were men that were godly people. 
But they were not godly enough if they could not deny themselves and take up a cross. Woo! Dear God, it's tight as a 1947 Martin banjo in here right now. I want you to understand that we have got to change. We've got to have a paradigm shift in our minds and the way that we think. It's not a good time for us to get people addicted to a good feeling on Sunday morning. There is more to serving God than a feeling. We have got to get, oh Lord Jesus, we have got to get beyond church making us feel good. We have got to get beyond preaching making us feel good. If I'm not inspired, I'm leaving. If I'm not inspired, I'm leaving with my family. If I'm not inspired, I'm not coming back to church. Church is not a part of my life. The kingdom of God has got to be my life and being faithful to the house of God is a part of that. Has anyone noticed in the scripture, if you read for yourself, has anyone noticed whatsoever that in Genesis 12, when the Lord came and spoke to Abraham, Abram at the time, did the Lord say, if you'll do this, I'm going to pat you on the back. I'm going to give you accolades. No, he gave him a promise. He said, I'm going to bless your seed. He said, but I want you to leave everything familiar. And come follow after me. And then, now this is interesting. I don't want to bore you with this. But this was so powerful to me. By Genesis 15, the language is not following after God. The Lord told Abram, he said, I want you to walk before me. This messes with me. Because it's one thing for God to say, I'm going to lead you out of here. It's another thing for the Lord to say, I want you to go and I'm not going to lead you anywhere. I need you to trust me and walk before me. Because you're not watching my feet and walking in my footsteps now. You're walking on your own, but you're listening for a voice. The power of walking before the Lord is that I can't just watch wherever he goes, get distracted, look up, make sure he's not out of sight, then run up there to where he is and say, oh, I caught up. with No, no. When you walk before the Lord, when you walk in front of the Lord and he's behind you, he's saying, all right, son, now you're getting ready to come to a place in your life of decision that you may not understand. And so what I need you to do is trust me. And when you cannot see where I'm at and you don't know where I'm leading you, I just need you to take another step. I don't like that, God, because I can't see what you're doing. He said, then walk before me. Get out there and walk. I'm not asking you to follow in a place that I've already made convenient for you, Abram. I'm not asking you to go to a trail that has already been blazed. I'm asking you to walk by faith into the unknown and trust my voice. There's never been a man like Abraham. Never. never. But the scripture is, in my opinion, exceptionally understated in its account of him. The scripture's actual presentation throughout the book of Genesis of Abraham does not fit 
the bill at all of what we would call a modern day hero. But when we look at Abraham, we say, oh, what a hero of the faith. Scripture never calls him a hero of the faith. It says he's the father of the faithful. So the Lord was saying, Abram, I want you to come follow me, not for accolades, but because I called you. You know, Abram's not like, he's not like Noah, who was a survivor of a world that was hastening to its own destruction. And a man who revives, if you would, a brand new human order. That seems kind of like a big deal. That would make the headlines, you know. You're the only ones that survived a flood. You came off the ark. You obeyed God. You planted. You grew. What a hero of the faith. He's not like Moses. Aram's not like Moses at all because Moses was a lawgiver and he was a liberator. He is not at all like the latter prophets in the scripture. A man who spends his lifetime confronting kings and wrestling with his contemporaries, if you would, speaking truth to power. Oh, what powerful men these prophets are, heavenly visions. <laughs> not Abraham. The scriptural story of Abraham presents, as a matter of fact, quite the dichotomy from that. He's not in the spotlight whatsoever doing big things and restarting the human race whatsoever. As a matter of fact, it is this man that we see that has a servant's heart. That before he even knew they were angels, he saw three men walking by at a distance and said, I want to serve you. And runs out to these men and says, come on in, let me feed you, let me take care of you. I want to do something through you. This man had the heart of a servant. How is it, how is it that he's not a man that's restarting the human race? He's not a prophet of old that's giving us, oh, look what's going to happen. Like, I'm talking about Isaiah, you know, looking forward that unto us a son is born unto us. A child is born, a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful picture. Of how incredible, not, no, not Abram. He is a man that when God said go, he didn't stand there and count the cost. He didn't stand there and say, okay, where do I go first? Because the Lord said to him, come out to a land that I will show you. How many of you precious people of God today would have started to follow the Lord? And you don't have to raise your hand if it makes you uncomfortable at all. How many of you would have followed the Lord if you would have known that to live for him, you would have gone through some of the things that you've had to go through? It's a limited number of people because when you're by faith, it's never based upon what you've been through or what you've got to go through. It's waiting for that land that he told us. Oh, Lord. Abram, if you'll pass the test, I'm going to take you to a land that you don't even know about. How is it that Hebrew says of this great man that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God? You know what he's calling us to? He's not calling us to die out so that we get a beautiful city. He didn't call us out for a wall of jasper, for a gate of pearl, for a street of gold. He never mentioned heaven to his disciples when he called them. He never mentioned eternity. He said, just come follow me and die. You can all be seated. 
You don't have to take a run around the room right now. Listen to pastor when I tell you today that the call of God as we see in the scripture and the way that he deals with men if I could use it in a in a in a uh, a more personal noun type un- understanding it really the god that we know in the scripture and the Christ that this world portrays it's it's really the antithesis of the the true god it's not it's not at all the way we see him in the scripture i'll give you i'll, I'll, I'll give you an instance I'm still looking for this, this scripture, but it's, it's the way people draw it out. Jesus said, don't judge. Where? Well, God's not judgmental. Where does the Bible say that? Matter of fact, it said he is the. Boy, y'all are preaching so good. You know what he said? He said, judge not lest you. Oh, boy, y'all are preaching so good. Understand me when I tell you that the God that is painted of this present world, be happy. God sure wouldn't judge you. It's not the God that these men in the Old Testament understood because they're Their understanding was always, and even passing on to the apostles in the New Testament, their understanding was always, I would rather be judged by men and lose my life than to be judged of God of whom I did not give my life to. Did you hear what I just preached to you? I would rather lose my life to men than to be judged by God of whom I did not give my life to. Sometimes I wish I had a rewind button so I could just hit it and push play over and over and over and over and over. The judgment of men pales in comparison to the judgment of God. When God says, come out, listen, you don't stand there and weigh all the cost out and say, but Lord, I'm 75 years old. I've already established my life here. What am I? Can't you just move on me right here where I'm at? with heron what's wrong with earth Chaldees? what's wrong with me being here what's what's the big problem why can't i just stay here because god can never uh, lead a revolution in your life and change and transform your life in a place that you've always been he's always going to have to bring you out of familiarity if you're really going to sell out to him because the closer you are to familiarity the closer you are to turning around and going back to what you used to be Let me preach to you this morning. God does not deliver you from drugs and alcohol so that you can go back to the pool halls and the drug halls and the the bar rooms to be a witness. I'll never forget the night I was preaching in this church and I just about had to give mass CPR to a group of people. When I stepped up and made a statement very similar to this, I said, you know, people are doing ministry in some unique ways. And I was talking, I believe it was the same night that I was talking about the man who had just been saved and his passion in life was cigars. So he started a cigar smoking lounge for Christians. And they would have their Bible study there every week and smoke cigars together. And I made a statement that, honest to goodness, you should have seen some of the elders 
in the church, I thought I was going to have to give them CPR when I said, you know, I've been thinking about going to the strip club to witness. I could do a lot of good there. <laughs> now, before we jump all cuckoo on this, let me ask you something. Are there, are there lost people there? Are there people that need the message there? Then what's the problem? You're letting your good be evil spoken of. Woo-wee, pastor's preaching this morning. How are they going to hear without? That was a good one. Don't act like you're there to share the gospel. People amaze me. I went, I went, pastor, but I didn't drink or nothing. So we're going to start justifying what we did by what we didn't do. Here's my question for you, church of the living God. Does he call us out or does he leave us in? Come on, I don't see nobody climbing the wall and biting the ceiling right now. Abram, you got to come out, son. You got to leave familiarity. You've got to leave your family. You got to leave your father. You got to leave. Oh, I want you to come out to a brand new way of living. If I'm going to transform you, I cannot birth a promise through your loins while you're stuck at home. Woo! This is different on a Sunday morning, isn't it? I want you to watch the call. I want you to watch the call of modern Christianity. Pastor, we got to get them in here and get them baptized. For what? Why are we in such a hurry to get them baptized? Oh, for the remission of sins. That's what the Bible says. I understand that. But why should I expect the spirit and the supernatural work to remit what I haven't fallen out of love with? I'm glad I got these bright lights because I can only see right here. I'm preaching to my daughters. <laughs> Hurry up, get them in the baptistry. Let's have a baptismal Sunday and set up a swimming pool in front of the church. So what? So we can inspire them to get baptized. You don't need to be inspired to get baptized. You need to be sold out to get baptized. That's why in verse 37 of Acts 2, when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't start with baptism. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. He's not going to remit something that you still love and that you're still holding on to. I've come to preach to somebody this morning. It's not about good Sunday morning church. It's time to sell out. Oh, my, my. Have I walked out of the word yet? I'm going to take you to a strange place right here. But I'm taking you there for a reason. It's in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. The sixth chapter and the fourth verse. We read about our roots. Who I believe he is. I don't think there's any question or... Any understanding, uh, misunderstanding as to whether or not Abram was monotheistic. 
Nor do I believe there was any question about whether Moses was monotheistic. In other words, he believed in one God. But you want to know something very interesting about Abram? He wasn't one God because his father was. If you read Jewish history, you find out that more than likely his parents not only worshipped idolatry, but they were polytheistic. They believed in a multiplicity of gods. And that's how Abram was raised. He was raised to believe that polytheism was the way. In other words, whatever you want God to be, that's what he can be. Woo! But it was with that one encounter where the God spoke to him and said, come out, son. He had to wrestle with the false doctrines that he was raised with in order to come to grips with the God of his salvation. None of the other gods that his father worshipped could save. None of the other gods that his father worshipped could heal. None of them could oh, none of them could set free. And none of them could give him the promised seed. But there was one true living God. hurrying hear O Israel Israel yeah it's not just a country it's a people and strange enough they're named after Abraham's grandson think about that well what, what do you mean his grandson? His grandson was Jacob. Oh, yes. Until he wrestled with the same God that his grandfather had wrestled with. And then he said, look, 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 look. You're not just going to be a prince with men. He said, you have wrestled with God. And you have won. These are people that come from the loins of wrestlers. That understand the wrestling in the mind of Going against everything that feels right to you. Woo! To obey a God that you're wondering how in the world, if you really love me, how could you make me go through this? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is one. He is one Lord. There is none like him, above him, beside him, beneath him. He is God all by himself. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. He was already their God. The issue was not whether or not he was God. It was whether or not they really loved him. Even in Egypt they believed in one God. They saw all the gods of the pharaohs and all the gods of Egypt and all the gods of that present world. They believed, they saw all of that, but they knew there was only one God. He said, the Lord thy God, the Lord thy God, with all. Come on, somebody help me right now. Heart with all thy soul and with all thy With all your heart. It indicates. That you love God with both of your inclinations. 
both the good and the evil. Let's do a quick history lesson, and I've got to hurry. What was the first tree that the Lord told Adam and Eve don't touch, but they touched anyway? The tree of knowledge of. Why would God kick them out for something that was good? Because Eve saw that it was good for food. It was good to eat. It was a good thing, but it was good and evil. And within all of you good people today, there are two inclinations. You are good and you are. Oh, you just admitted it. See, I didn't even say it. Do you like that little political trick right there? I didn't even say that. And you can't put words in my mouth because I said you are good and you all said and evil. You evil beings. Good and evil. It's in you. I don't care how righteous you think you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. If you're a man or a woman, you're going to wrestle. It is going to be the wrestling match from the day of your cognizance until the day of your death. You're going to wrestle with getting in the cookie jar when mama told you no. And you're going to wrestle with somebody that's not your spouse. And you're going to... Oh, pastor, that's too real. No, it is the reality. It's real. You're going to wrestle. You're going to wrestle with this world. You're going to wrestle with your flesh. You're going to wrestle with both inclinations. But sooner or later, you've got to love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, wake up and sell out. Why'd you do that, Pastor? So I didn't have to wake people up. All your soul. Can I preach to you just a few more minutes? What time is it? 55? Yeah, we're good. All your soul. Somebody say your soul. I've been reading to try to understand the soul better than I've ever understood it in my life because it's the only thing that lives on. I've been on a journey for the last couple of months just trying to understand my soul better. I want to know my soul. I want to know what this is that God put within me. That when this body stops breathing. There's something that lives on. There's something that happens. What is it? It's that soul. And it's so vitally important for us to understand. Because it's all through the scripture. Why would he tell you to love the Lord with all your soul? You've never seen your soul. But I want to tell you this. Your soul is not just your heart. Like we say. Except Jesus in your heart. That's not your soul. That's more your understanding. Woo! Did I jump off in the deep end of the pool? With your soul. Your soul. Why love him with your soul? Because the soul is something that the flesh cannot kill. And what he's saying is love him even if he takes your life. You've got to have a love for him that goes beyond your understanding of what you see with your own two eyes. You've got to love him beyond. Oh, God. It's a love that's beyond life. It's a love that's beyond the grave. It's a love that's beyond comprehension. It's not a love that throws in the towel when I get discouraged. It's not a love that measures my love for him by this present world. But it's a love with all my soul. It goes beyond what I know. Amen. 
I'm trying so hard this morning to keep you. Some of you are exhausted. I know that even with an extra hour of sleep last night. I got up this morning at 6 o'clock and walked out in the living room and said to my wife, what in the world are you doing? Actually, my words were, you couldn't capitalize on it, could you? Like, you got to be kidding. She said, I was quiet as a mouse. She said, why are you up? I said, because maybe you weren't quiet as a mouse. <laughs> and after one cup of coffee, I was civil. Er, er. Somebody say, I got to love him with my soul. I'm hurrying to a close this morning. I know I can't get this to you in one sermon. Sometimes I feel like a broken record. Because I'm trying to get this in your spirit. We get so consumed about building churches. The Great Commission was never about a church. It was about going into all the world. And making disciples. Disciples build churches because disciples make disciples. He said, you got to love the Lord with all your heart. With all your soul. And this one is so difficult. I could do this one for a three-week series. With all thy might. The might of a man was measured by what he owned. The might of a man was measured by his wealth. The Lord said, I want you to love me with both inclinations, good and evil. And I want you to love me even if I take your life, something beyond this life. And he said, and I want you to love me with all of your wealth and your riches. This is not a good way to end a Sunday morning sermon. I want to tell you something, church family. I know that God wants us to do well and prosper. That was the first, the first thing that he spoke over man. That was the first thing that man heard. I understand that. But there's a vast difference in that and modern prosperity doctrine. Because the same God manifested in flesh that people say God wants to make you a millionaire was the same man speaking when he said that the root of all evil is the love. He said, what, what, what? What's he talking about? He's talking about Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Why? Because he said on this hangs all the law and the prophets. All of the Old Testament understanding. The law and the prophets. It all hangs on one commandment. Love the Lord your God. And to love him with all of your might means that I don't love him more than things if things are controlling me. Well, I've got a captive audience. Let me just talk to you, and I'm hurrying. There are people who value their lives more than their money. And then there are people who value their money more than their lives. Church family, I mean no disrespect or harm to anyone today, but there are people even sitting among us today that I believe would rather lose a limb than they would their riches. I read a story this week about a man named Abba Hilkiah. 
They said about Abba when he would pass through a thorn thicket that he would roll up his garments to walk through the thicket because he said, and hear me, a scratch on the body heals itself. But if this garment were to be torn, I would not have the money to buy a new one. He said, I would rather do damage to my body than have to give my riches to something and replace it that thorns could decay. Oh, my God, have mercy. I'm not seeing the same resonator ringing your bell that rings mine. I got to get this in your spirit. He said, I would rather harm my flesh than to lose my things. Woo! And Moses said, love him with all of your heart, your soul, and your things, your riches, your substance. You listen to pastor when I tell you today, and this is going to be hard preaching, I understand that. But anything, including your wealth, your job, or anything else that you won't walk away from for the love of God, it's idolatry. With all of your might, well, pastor, you got to eat. I understand that. That's why Jesus devoted a whole chapter to it, and he said... Seek first the kingdom, and then I'll add these things to you. Loving the Lord with all of your might is not choosing between life and death. But rather, oh God. But rather it entails withstanding hardships that befall a person little by little. And choosing to love God even if it means I lose everything else. It's quiet in here right now. And I pray it's because God's dealing with somebody. Please understand, I'm not saying this to be mean whatsoever, but most of us come to our prayer time with God with either our thumb or a pacifier in our mouth saying, okay, God, what are you going to hook me up with? You know what I'm going through with my family right now? Do you see what I've lost? Never reminding him at all when we come before him that my love for you is greater than anything I've ever lost. And if I lose everything else, but I still have you, I have more than enough. While we're waiting on our pastor to teach us about convictions, and we're waiting on our church to establish our boundaries and our standards, he's saying, I want you to with all of it. He's saying, look, if you really love me with all your might, what's 10%? We're still wrestling with God over whether or not tithing is New Testament. And we don't realize that he gave us everything we have. Uh. Talking about selling out. Esther, what if you walk in there and the king takes your life? Uncle, I'm sold out. Doesn't matter. 
one understanding of the translation says, what do I have to lose? I've already sold out everything. And my life is the only thing that I have left. And I'd rather have freedom than life without it. Woo! Wake up, American church. I was sitting with Bishop last night at the dinner table. We were breaking bread and fried chicken. And I said, Dad, I feel more like Patrick Henry every day. Give me liberty or give me death. If they're going to come lock the doors of our church, they're going to have to do it while I'm in there having church. I'd rather live for God with the worry of it being shut down than for them to shut it down and me say, well, you just go ahead and do it if that's what you want to do. I'm done. There's no way I'm going to finish, so let me just quit and say this to you. If this COVID thing has proven anything to us, it's proven people that love church and people that are sold out. Because people that love church got messed up when they couldn't be here every service. Woo! People that love God, they're going to live for Him, whether it's without a church building or a fiery furnace comes before Him or whatever else. A lion's den. Don't threaten me with a lion's den. I don't mean this... As an attack in any way, I don't, I don't have a vindictive bone in my spirit, but God's been nailing me this week in prayer. Some say they're scared to come to church because everybody doesn't wear masks. So, wear a mask. Don't let the enemy keep you out of the house of God. I've said it a thousand times and I believe it. If I had to wear a scuba suit or a bucket or whatever, if I... If I had to come in here fully clothed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet with a mask and, 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 and a PPE from the middle, Bishop, I would wear it. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to be in the house of God because here's the truth. If you want to be saved, you're going to be saved. And if you want to be lost, then you're going to be lost. This is not at all a guilt trip. This is trying to help somebody understand you've got to be sold out. You're sold out. You can't just sell out to a church and you can't just sell out to a building and you can't sell out to a preacher. You gotta sell out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You gotta fall in love with Him every day of your life. You gotta fall in love with your heart, your soul, your strength, everything that you've got. We're so funny. Talk about we love God. We get in a tough place in our life. And we lock up our praise on God because we're mad at our wife. We're mad at our husband. We're mad at our neighbor. We're mad at somebody in the church. Oh, he deserves my praise because I love him more than I love my wife. I love you, baby, but I don't love you like I love him. I thank God for my children, but they are not a replacement for God in my life. I love him first and foremost. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you got to love him whether you got a spouse or you don't. You got to love him whether you have children or you don't. You got to love him whether you have a job or you don't have a job. If you're eating T bone steak or you're eating spam out of a can, you got to fall in love with it. 
I'm not trying to play reverse psychology games with you, but I want to tell you during the sickness and all this crazy stuff going on and the loss of my grandfather, who was an extremely healthy man, all of that, I asked God some questions during this season. I said, God, where are you in this? I'm going to tell you, Dr. Lang, what I felt was the response. I said, quit worrying about where I am. What I want to know is where are you? This has been horrible. We've lost amazing people this year. Our hearts have broken. This has been, a, this has been one of the most heartbreaking years that I've ever known. It, ever. Godly people all over the world have lost their lives this year. And this church has suffered tremendous, tremendous loss. Every time that I start to think about this year, Brother McLean, my brain just... I can't fathom that Gina's not here. And I walk out to the cemetery where my father-in-law is, and Brother Dave is, and Sister Jean is, and I'm not, I don't want to leave anybody out, but these are all fresh. And I, I walk by Sister Jean's grave, and I said, why, God? Why? He said, quit trying to ask me where I'm at. I need to know where are you. Is your love for me predicated on... What's happened right here? Oh. <laughs> it's the same God that said to him, come out to a place that I will show you. When Abram obeyed God, that same man of faith was, was the man that trusted God when he said, Take your boy, your only son, whom thou lovest. It would have been hard if he hated him. But he said, Bring now thy son, thine only son, who thou love, to a mountain which I will show you. He got used to the language, Bishop, that I don't have to know the end of a plan to know that he's got one. We can all trust him at the end of a thing. Job said, Lord, I got a few questions for you. And he said, all right, go ahead and ask, son, because I got a few for you, too. He said, where were you when I carved out the oceans with my hands? kind of rude of God to ask Job that when he's the one that's lost everything. No, 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 you don't understand. The question has never been, where is God? Because that one's answered pretty quickly. He's right there with you, Job. The question God wants to know is this morning is, where are you? And are you going to wait till the end of a matter to trust me? I want to obey God this morning so bad. I've been restless the last couple of days because I don't I've never shared this story publicly around this church. But several years ago, I know you're standing, you can do whatever. Several years ago, I began a wrestling match with God. Preach faith all my life. 
But Elvis, this was like on something I'd never, I'd never felt before, ever. And I woke up from a dream that I was preaching in this certain country and fire was falling from the ceiling. God was doing great and mighty things. And I just tucked that dream. It was so real that I woke up and started Google searching the nation because I was like, man, I've never been there. I don't know anything about it. And I started reading and it's like, oh, that'd be cool. Maybe I'll go there someday and preach. Maybe that's what God's showing me. And over time, I jumped on an elevator really late one night in Tennessee at a conference. And of all the thousands of people that were there, this one man jumped on the elevator and he was a missionary to that country. I said, let me encourage you, Elder, and tell you about a dream I had. He said, can you tell me about the building that you saw? I said, sure. He turned his iPad around and had a picture of their sanctuary, and he said, is this the building? I said, yes, sir, that's it. He looked me square in the eyes, and he said, brother, I know you're established. And he said, I would probably make your dad mad if I said this to you. He said, but don't count God out. He said, maybe God's calling you here because I'm just about ready to leave the field. I said, oh, God bless you, brother. did over time it was relentless it wouldn't let up we met with some officials in our organization kept it all really quiet and said well, listen we're praying about the will of God what do we need to do my wife and I left our children here behind we got on an airplane we went to a foreign country we felt like God had called us there I looked at you precious people I stood right back there in the back corner right where Sister Horner is. And I was looking across this empty sanctuary praying by myself and I was weeping. I said, God, what about this precious church? He said, Luke, if this is your church right now, it'll be your church when you leave. But if it's my church, it'll be my church when you leave. I said, okay, God. And we went. Pieces started falling into place. I had a pastor of another organization that called me from eight hours away. And he said, brother, I've got a church in that city where you're going. He said, I'm going to turn it over to you lock, stock, and barrel if you come. He said, I'll give you everything we've got there. I said, really? He said, yes. I got to the city. That man came and met my wife and I. We preached there. And over the days, God had been wrestling with me for five years I'd never felt anything like this in my life. And we cried and we cried and we cried. And we said, we're going to go home. We're going to tell our kids. We're leaving. Mama and Papa. We're going to go do a work for God. And Brother Matthew Ball our missions director he and his wife had left and gone to Ireland for a few days and then they flew in to, to meet us and I picked them up at the airport we sat down at the table and brother Ball said you're not feeling it are you and I said brother I don't know what's going on I don't know what to feel I said it's like it's been killing me for five years it's like this week God just lifted it off of me I don't understand and I said I don't want you to be disappointed and his chin began to shake I, if he sees this I might embarrass him I don't know I doubt it his chin started to shake and tears started streaming down his face. And he looked at me and he said, disappointed, are you kidding me? He said, you have shown God this week that you would leave everything you have and everything that you've worked for. And the investment of your family. And you would move to a God-forsaken nation. 
to be a missionary. He looked me square in the eyes with tears streaming down his face. And he said, now God knows. He said, Brother St. Clair, you have walked your Mariah this week. Now it's time for you to go back to Anderson and find the ram in your thicket. I didn't tell this church, but my closest friends had all surrounded us and prayed for us. My parents, my in-laws were sick. But when God calls you, sometimes you find out it wasn't Isaac you really wanted. It was you he wanted. He wanted to make sure that you weren't going to withhold from him what he thought you could have loved more than you loved him. I'm telling you this morning, FPC, the reason I'm preaching so hard about being sold out is because I'm not here because there's nowhere else to be. I'm here because this is where God wants us. And I'm here today at FPC to tell you it's time to start looking for the ram in the thicket. Don't tell me that God has inconvenienced us. Oh, I'm saying this morning, God wreck our world. Inconvenience us, turn us inside out. Do whatever you've got to do to us. But when you find me, I want you to find me sold out. I had had our last service here in my mind no less than a thousand times. I would wake up out of dreams hugging people in this church and tears dripping off their face, Brother Matthew. And them saying, Pastor, we're going to miss you. I'd already walked that road in my mind and I fought that battle. And when your family came to this church, I started thanking God that he didn't take me there. Because of the work that he's doing in your family and Brother Greg. I wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't have been here to see the restoration of some of your lives. Brandon Enzo, I wouldn't have been here. But today, God's got a plan. I wouldn't have been here, Elvis. I wouldn't have been here to see what God's doing in your life, buddy. But no, I'm proud of you. God's working in your family. I wouldn't have been here. Brother Joe... I'd have never been at Meadowbrook. But look what the Lord has done. You're a man of God, sir. Brother Jim wouldn't have been here because you wouldn't have been here. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to walk your mountain to see the promises of God. I'm asking you, church, to lock in more than ever before. I'm asking you to lock in, fall in love with God. Don't just fall in love with this church, fall in love with God. I want you to reach your hands towards God right now. 
receive your word today, Father. be, God, what you've called me to be. I'll do what you've called me to do. Brother Lang, I remember the day we met for chicken wings in Marion, Indiana, and I shared my heart with you. You told me that day, you said, bro, it sounds like this is all but a done deal on the missions board. But I'm so glad God thought enough (laughs) to say, son, just grow where you're planted. Have revival. I look around this room today, and it may not mean a lot to a whole bunch of you, but to your pastor, I'm starting to see all the rams in my thicket. I see it. I see transformed lives. Brother Craig, I'll never forget the first Sunday you came in. Never. You had a broken heart, brother, because you said, I just want to be in church. Thank you for loving God. Just want to be in church. Young people, sell out. Sell out. Sell out to God more than you're selling out to pursuing a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Sell out. I know the enemy wants you to build the American dream. I want you to build God's dream. Don't you live God's dream? Can you imagine what God's going to do in your life? We're going to make it, Brother Wayne. We're going to make it. God's already brought some of you through a most difficult year this year. <laughs> I've never looked more forward to a watch night service in my life. I can't wait to take communion on December 31st. Jesus, touch your church today. Come on, church, let me hear you this morning. God, I'll sell out to you. Lord, if you want me to fast for three days, for seven days, for ten days, 21 days, you just call me.